This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I am joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. He's also the editor on The Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Yay! I say that a lot, don't I? That's okay. Well, go, it's something to get excited rule your about. retirement, yay. Yeah. Okay, tax day is upon us, and there's little we can do to help you at this point, but we can help make filing your taxes next April so much easier. And Megan Brinsfield is here with a few steps you can take now to make next year's tax burden as painless as possible. Hi, Megan. Hi, Allison. Our listeners will be so excited because their future self will say thank you, past self, after they've heard all of our advice. We're also going to find out why Megan is a super fan of the after-tax 401k. Yes, I'm a (laughs) raging fan. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Fool Answers. Megan Brinsfield joins us. She's a certified financial planner with Motley Fool Wealth Management. Say it with me. A sister company of the Motley Fool. Hi, Megan. Hi. You love ta- taxi stuff. I do. You're like our resident tax, like just everything person. Well, she's also a CPA oh. as well as a CFP so that, practitioner. So she loves all the numbers. What's your master? You're gonna you have a master's in accounting or something like that, right? I do. Yeah, she's I want that smart. extra mile. She was heavily recruited by Ohio State. I learned <laughs> at our company party the other night. Yeah, to join their t- tax team. They're team of number crunchers. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) And basketball. All right. So our question today comes from Mike. Mike writes, I'm over 50 and have been making contributions to a retirement plan for many years. Inside my 401k, there are five options for contributions. First option, the 401k after tax. Second option, 401k pre-tax. Then we've got the 401k catch up, the Roth 401k and the Roth 401k catch up. Mike writes, I'm not sure of all the differences. I'm concerned that I'm not maximizing my opportunities with the mix I'm doing with my employer. Besides the employee 401k, I have a Roth IRA, but I have not recently been contributing to it because I'm not sure I can, since I also contribute to my Roth 401k. Woo! Woo! All right. This is a lot of like retirement savings goodness in this question. Goodness. Yes. Okay, you look excited to answer this. My eyes just lit up. (laughs) I'm not actually sure what the question is outside of, I guess, Mike just saying, what do I do with all these options? Well, when you go to your 401k website, you will see these different options, and you have to make a choice. And he's not alone in being confused about it. Um, So let me start with a couple of basics. He had some questions about how much he can contribute. Um, So this year, 2016, the limit is $18,000, and that applies just in terms of what you can put in. doesn't include your employer match, what you can put in. And if you're 50 or older, you get to put in another 6000 You don't have to wait until you're 50. As long as you turn 50 at any point during that year, you can start adding that extra money. The tricky part is these things called after-tax, pre-tax, and the Roth. So, the pre-tax is that traditional 401k. You put the money in, you get a deduction today, grows tax-deferred, you don't pay taxes each and every year, but when you take it out, you pay taxes. The Roth, other way around, you put money in, no tax break, money grows tax-free, you never pay taxes on that money as long as you follow the rules. The third wrinkle here is called the after-tax, which a lot of people confuse with the Roth, but it's actually different, and I will let Megan discuss that one. 
Yes. So this has a couple of uh, unique characteristics. The first is after tax means that just like a Roth, you're paying taxes before you contribute that money to the account. The difference is that the growth on those contributions is ultimately taxable when you take it out. The interesting thing is that you can convert an after-tax account to a Roth and then just pay tax on the growth that's happened since that, since that contribution took place. So, if you make the contribution and then very soon after convert to a Roth, you have a minimal tax impact and you're getting a lot of bang for your buck there. And it's sort of a workaround to some of the limits that are in place on contributing to a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k. When people talk about the backdoor Roth, is this what they're talking about or is that something totally different? It's a little bit different. Some people refer to this as like the ultra backdoor Roth or super backdoor Roth, uh, sort of as indicating that it's above and beyond the regular IRA to Roth IRA conversion. And here's why people would do this. It has a totally different limit. So, if you're going to contribute up to $18,000 or $24,000 if you're 50 or older, do the traditional or the Roth. But once you get to that point, you can then put more money in in the after-tax. And that's a whole other limit. In fact, you can put up to $53,000 total in your 401k. That's your contributions, employer match, and these after-tax. I do want to add a few caveats. Uh, there's a lot more to know about after-tax contributions and turning them into Roth accounts than we can discuss in one episode. Starting with the fact that not every 401k actually allows them. And for those that do, the way they're set up will determine the tax consequences of converting them to Roth assets. So, make sure you ask your HR folks what's available in your plan, speak with the company that runs your plan, and do plenty more research. A couple of interesting points, though, that if you're contributing to your Roth 401k, your employer match is still going to be in the pre-tax account. Right. So you are getting some exposure there if you're trying to get some pre-tax money, some post-tax money, and some Roth money. Uh, and the other thing is the fifty-three thousand limit actually applies if you're under fifty. If you're over fifty, you get the extra catch-up as well. Right. So you're really at fifty-nine thousand. So this is like for super savers that are out there. Right. And he also, by the way, brought up another question about the Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA, first of all, has income limitations. Once you make too much, you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA. Not the same, not so with a Roth 401k. You can always contribute no matter how much you make. Also, he has the impression that he cannot contribute to his Roth IRA because he's contributed to his Roth 401k. But that's not true. IRAs and 401ks are totally independent of each other in terms in terms of how much you can contribute. I feel like we needed a whiteboard for this conversation. <laughs> there were definitely Venn diagrams that could have been drawn. Flow charts, yep. something. Oh, let's let's work on that. So, according to a Wallet Hub survey, 27% of people said they would rather get an IRS tattoo in exchange for never having to do their taxes again. <laughs> I want to see who's, who actually has done it. I don't know. Well, no one's done it. We it's not like the IRS is offering that as an option. But We should make it a contest. We'll pay for that tattoo and the tax preparer if someone gets the tattoo. Yeah, 77% of people would also rather do laundry than do their taxes. Change a baby's diaper, 43% said they would rather do that. Uh, let's see. 32% of people said they would rather fold 100 fitted sheets than do their taxes. Was that Martha Stewart? <laughs> that she's who taught me how to fold a fitted sheet. Me too. The YouTube video. I understand that you're an expert at it, Allison. I am extremely good at folding fitted sheets. That's what I've heard. I don't want to. I mean, it's it's not bragging if you're telling the truth, but yeah. 
Yeah. I've sometimes done it as like a party trick. This is why I don't get invited to those cocktail parties we're always talking about. I was going to say, it's, for me, it's like I'm either talking about taxes or folding laundry in a corner somewhere. So you can see Sobbing. Sobbing. my social calendar is wide open. <laughs> I'm also pretty good at hemming jeans. So that is just, a talent. Just put that out there. Uh, so yeah, we would all rather be doing something other than our taxes. But Megan is here because now is the time to start thinking about how you could make your taxes less of a burden to both do and also less of a burden on your finances for next year. Um, and like we said in the intro, your future self will say, hey, thank you, past self. This has been so much easier because you were on it, right? Our friend Rebecca taught us that one. Yes, she did. All right, we have four steps for your present self to do, so future self thinks you're awesome. Megan, the first step is to estimate how much you owe and adjust your withholding, and you can do this in three sub-steps. I told you this was like four steps, but it's actually four steps with sub-steps, and by the end of the the day, you guys are gonna do a few few trips up and down the stairs, but trust me, it'll be worth it. All right, we'll make it as easy as possible. All right, first step, estimate how much you owe and adjust your withholding in three easy steps. Yes, all right, so, The big thing that we're trying to solve for here is whether you owe or get a refund at the end of the year. And if you owe money, that's a very unpleasant experience, and so you would much uh, be better served just um, playing that throughout the year and higher withholding. So the first step is that you figure out what your total tax liability is going to be. And there are a couple of ways to do that. H&R Block has something called Tax Estimator. TurboTax has TaxCaster. <laughs> and uh, you go on and just put in your estimated income, your deductions. It probably looks a lot like what you're doing right now anyway with your actual taxes for this year and just projecting what next year will look like. So step one is how much you're going to owe. Step two is really how much you're contributing to that through your current withholding. Okay. So you would look at your pay stub and take a look at your year-to-date withholding and how much is coming out each pay period and just multiply by the number of pay periods that you have in a year to Mm -hmm. get your estimated total. Mm -hmm. And then step three is that you will compare those two numbers and see if you have a shortfall or an excess. In the case that you're getting an excess, maybe you like that, maybe you love getting a big tax refund. In the case where you have a shortfall, you would just want to adjust your withholding so that you don't have that shortfall at the end of the year. And you might be asking, like, how do I know how much to uh, adjust it? You've got this great form you filled out probably once in your life when you started your job called a W-4 for federal purposes that says how many allowances are you claiming? And each allowance is going to be equal to roughly $1,000. Huh. So. Let's say you owed $5,000 this year. That was really unpleasant. You would reduce the number of allowances you're claiming by five. All right, so the second step is you want to keep better track of all your taxi things throughout the year. This is always fun, right? Like you have this big box, or maybe there's emails over here, or whatever. So, what's some advice for keeping better track of all your receipts and forms and everything? So, people have some different methods. Uh, if you track paper better, like you print everything out and you have big stacks somewhere. Um, I find that like an accordion folder or just even if it is a box, as long as you're keeping just tax things in that box, it gets a lot easier to go through at tax time. Every Christmas, I give my mom an accordion folder as a Aww, gift. That's so sweet. And it's really a present to myself because I right? do her taxes. <laughs> do her taxes. <laughs> it's very selfish of me. Um, but that's one way to do it. If you're online, you could set up like an email folder, or you can use certain apps. 
apps like Expensify. People think of Expensify as like a business app, but really you can use it to track any sort of expense. And I like it because you can just take a picture of the receipt and then you don't have to track it the rest of the year. A lot of those receipts, like at gas stations and stuff like that, they fade out anyway. So it can be an easy way to sort of minimize all the paper you're tracking and have it electronically stored forever and ever. Third step, avoid procrastinating and file as soon as possible. That can be hard sometimes. It really can. I think the IRS allows you to file usually towards the end of January. That's when they have all of the software code written to start accepting electronically filed returns. So if you have all your documents, everyone's required to um, send out their W-2s by the end of January. So that's closely aligned with when you can start filing. Um, Just do it right away and get it off your plate, especially if you don't have a lot of other documents that you're waiting on. The faster you do it, the better. Uh, And that's for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, with a lot of tax fraud going up, usually what the fraudsters do is try to e-file before you so that when you go to file, you get this error message that says, someone's already filed a return on your behalf, and then you have to paper file. It's this big, you know, rigmarole. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you file early on in the season, that can prevent that fraud from happening which is a good thing for everyone. And then my favorite part of filing early is you can watch other people freak out. (laughs) It's sort of this like guilty pleasure or whatever you want to call it. Uh, But around here, there are still people that file on paper and not electronically, which is a whole different thing I don't understand. But around here, there's a regional post office that stays open, I think, until midnight on tax day. And you can just go and see everyone just throwing tax returns out their window practically into these big laundry bins on on wheels and casters and employees just taking tons of these paper packets. It's a little bit of trust there. Uh, And just so everyone remembers that this year, tax filing deadline is April 18th, not April 15th. So you have a few extra days. All right. So the fourth step to make it easier on yourself next year when you're filing your taxes is to search now for ways to actually reduce your taxes. So where, where should I be looking for some ways to reduce my taxes? Yeah, I mean, I think with this step, it's like the hardest part isn't just doing your taxes, it's the fact that you have to pay them at all. That's um, hard to come to grips with. So if you can look, really first step is your employer. There are a lot of benefits that you might be able to take advantage of to reduce your taxable income. The first one we talked about earlier which is your 401k. If you have that 401k pre-tax option available, that reduces how much income uh, is avail- is taxed, really. Um, and so that's one big way to reduce your overall income and thereby taxes. You can also use, if your um, employer offers a flexible spending account, you can use that as a place to put pre-tax money for expenses that you would be incurring anyway. So this is things like, I'm getting uh, dental work or contacts or new glasses or just you know doctor co-pays and things like that. You could use a medical FSA to cover those costs. Um, dependent care FSA is very similar. So actually, a lot of people go, oh, I get the tax credit for dependent care. The tax credit is almost never as good yeah. as a flexible spending account. So if you have the choice between the two, definitely take the flexible spending account. Yeah. Now, you um, have 
a piece of advice for finding tax credits, and that's um, basically uh, this magical thing that probably a lot of people haven't heard of. It's called Google. Right. Yeah. I, this is like the poor man's tax advisor is just going into Google, turning on the autocomplete, and starting a sentence with tax credits for, and then type in each letter of the alphabet. (laughs) Adoption, appliances, buying a home, businesses, college students, child. So you can just go down the alphabet and see. I didn't try X, though. I would like to see what tax credits for xylophones. Xylophone manufacturers. (laughs) Something. Uh, So when should you enlist the help of a professional, do you think, when it comes to your taxes? Like, At what point should you be like, ugh, Somewhat, I need a taxi pants, Megan Brinfield, to do this for me. I think you, if you're going to talk to someone about it, definitely do it before the end of the year when you still have an opportunity to make some adjustments or additional deductions, things like that. Usually, if you're talking to someone after the end of the year, it's too late to do anything about it in most cases. So now you're a CPA, but not everyone who prepares tax returns are CPAs. In your opinion, should someone always look for a CPA? Not necessarily. There are a couple of different designations um, for people that prepare tax returns. Uh, probably the lowest on that list is called a registered tax return preparer, and that just <laughs> means someone has registered with the IRS. There's really no other requirement. Um, then you have CPAs, which may or may not be good at taxes, um, because taxes is just one component of the CPA credential. And then you have enrolled agents, which are uh, people that have gone through testing with the IRS specifically for preparing tax returns, and they have to do continuing education every year. So I think enrolled agents, um, you'll see you know, their name, comma, EA, um, are some of the unsung heroes of tax preparation. Aww. <laughs> All right. Shout out to EAs. <laughs> yeah. This was all advice for people to help them with their taxes next year. With about a week left to go before you have to file your taxes for 2015, is there any piece of advice you ha- you guys have for people who um, I know? Because I know all of our listeners are very responsible and they have already filed their taxes, I'm sure. But for maybe our one or two listeners out there who have still not filed their taxes, do you have any advice for for our our late our late people this year? Uh, prayer. Have <laughs> <laughs> uh, a week. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is you can file an extension. Everyone's freaked out about April 15th or 18th uh, this year, but as long as you pay your taxes by April 18th, um, you can take as long as you want to file the actual form. Um, the so IRS but you do have to file the form. Money. You do have to file the form to get the extension, right? Uh, if you don't owe money, it's an automatic extension. Gotcha. Okay. Six months. And if you th- if you think you're going to owe money. Uh, but you haven't done your taxes, is it reasonable to file for the extension and just include a check? And if you overpay, you'll get the money back? Yes, that's exactly what you do. What is the penalty for people who, let's say, April 18th comes and goes, May 1st comes, they file their taxes. Let's say they owe $3,000. How big of a deal is that, that they waited three weeks or so to actually get their taxes in? Uh, so. You will have some interest accumulating on underpayment, which is about 3% per year. So that's usually not a big deal. Uh, but the big deal is if you if that underpayment causes you to be what's called significantly underpaid. So if that um, the amount that you owe is more than 20% of your total liability, then you start racking up charges that I, I think it's 5% per month. So that starts getting really 
high very quickly. Right. But so if you get it in three weeks late, you're not going to jail. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world unless you have significantly underpaid and then it starts getting scary. Right. But I mean, one thing that I have found is that if people hate paying taxes, the only thing they hate paying more than that is like a penalty or interest <laughs> on the taxes that they didn't pay. That is totally unnecessary. So even if it's a low amount, people really have an emotional attachment to that. Right. Money. Yeah. We like our money. Them are the facts. After tax. It's time for Flummox the Fools. This is where I ask you awkward questions about a subject you should be an expert on. Are you guys ready? Okay. <laughs> Taxes edition. Taxes edition. So it's me. It's me against Megan. Mm-hmm. She's the CPA. Mm-hmm. So I'm just pointing that out. At the start here, I'm already at a disadvantage, but let's go ahead. You should know I Google everything. No. <laughs> yeah, both of you have your laptops out, so I need you to be honest with all right, me. We'll okay, be honest. all right. So, it's a core value. This is a core value. All right, so uh, first question who, should, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Just, Ladies just first. Ladies me. first. All right, yep. first question Megan, which has more words, the Harry Potter series or the federal tax code? The federal tax code? Ding! Do we have a fake ding sound we can put in there? We have a real ding sound. Okay. <laughs> the Harry Potter series, all what, seven, eight books? I don't know how many. There are seven. Rick tells me there are seven. I've read them. It was a long time ago. Uh, has about one million words total. Whereas the tax code has, any guesses? Almost four. So... Almost that is crazy. four times the Harry Potter series is our U.S. tax code. I'm actually interested to know what they consider the tax code because there are like regulations that are considered basically the same as the tax code. So, yeah, and and, and I should probably put a caveat here that Flummox the Fool is very lightly researched <laughs> thanks to Google. So if you have a problem with the answers, take it take it to Google. All right, next question, bro. In 1691, England taxed this household feature, which led to many people getting really sick. So they repealed it in 1851. Um, the chamber pot. Oh, that's a good guess. It's actually windows. The number of windows on a house were taxed, and consequently houses were being built with very few windows, and or people would close up their existing windows. People began to suffer health problems for the lack of air. That's crazy. <laughs> so the tax was repealed in 1851. I don't necessarily expect you to have the answers to these questions. So, you know. All right. The next one is going to be a little bit of a back and forth. So right. the question is, seven states do not have an income tax. Mm-hmm. So she's going she's to totally time, slay it on this. One at a time. Megan and then bro. Oh. Texas. Correct. Florida. Correct. Washington. Correct. Um, Nevada? Yes. Oh. Just pick any lawless any state, state in America. Notoriously lawless. Tennessee only taxes interest and dividends. Does that even count? Uh, apparently not. Bro, no. do you want to see if you can steal it? Oklahoma. No. All right, that one sounds like, oh, Rick wants to steal it. Alaska. Yes, Alaska is one of them. I'm giving that one to Rick. Okay, so the states are, again, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. Hmm. Huh. All right, next question. This one goes to Bro. 
Ireland, Denmark, and other EU nations have started to tax cattle owners in the hopes of curbing greenhouse gases. What are the cows and sheep doing that's so bad? <laughs> Pulling each other's hooves. It's the methane that is contained <laughs> in their flatulence. That's right. I know. I saved that one just for you. Thank you. I knew you would appreciate <laughs> just, that you know, one. People say stuff like that to me, like, oh, I got a great joke for you. And it's like totally <laughs> offensive or or scatological. Like, what is it like? What does that say oh, about bro, me? Oh, bro, you know what you do. You know what you do and why you have this reputation. Mm, I guess so. All right, we are now currently tied. One point each for Megan, bro, and Rick. So way to go, Rick. All right, so next question. Uh, this is the... Oh, I have two more history ones. Okay. Russian Emperor Peter the Great placed a tax on this masculine feature in 1705, hoping it would cause more men to adopt a style that was popular in Western Europe. Facial hair. Yeah, beards. Oh, sweet. He wanted people to shave? He wanted them to shave, so he put a tax on beards. Again, <laughs> lightly researched via Google. All right. <laughs> Next question. The most significant relic of Egyptian history was inscribed in 200 BC, and it was so important that it was written in three languages. And of course, it was about taxes. We know it as the... Hanabi Code or something like that. Do you want to guess again? Rick, what is it? It's the Rosetta Stone. Hey, oh, Rick, for the steel. I'm going to get Rick a point. Just I kind of zoned out during that, but I've, I've actually even what seen that. you mean the... you kind of zoned out during that? You realize <laughs> that totally you are... I'm totally ADD. I was just thinking of cows and, and goats. You see? That's why I asked you the flatulence question. <laughs> but I I've seen the Rosetta Stone. I saw it over the last summer, but oh well. Gosh. Okay. Next question. Megan. Yes. What well-known tax evader famously quipped, we don't pay taxes, only the little people pay taxes? Little people pay taxes. Can you give us a hint? Uh, it's a lady. Oh, I don't know any. Rick's going to steal lady it. Lady famous tax evaders. Go for it, Rick. Rick with the steal. Marie Antoinette? Oh, no. No, more recent than that. Leona Helmsley. Yes! Thank you very much. Woo-hoo. I don't know if I'm like letting now now the, the rules of the game have completely like fallen apart <laughs> if you're like stealing stuff. All right, last question, and this is also a back and forth. Name one of the top ten US companies that paid the most taxes in 2014. Bro, you get to start this one. Wow. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. Apple. Yes. Really? Yes. I thought they were hiding out in Ireland. Um, uh, let's see. Well, Exxon? Yes. Megan? Chevron. Yes. Bro? Moron. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, Johnson & Johnson. No. Mm-hmm. Megan for the steal. Nike? No. Procter ah. & Gamble. No. Oh, the drug makers that get away with it. The limited name. brands. No. Motley Fool. No. Hmm. Merck, Pfizer. Yes, Merck. <laughs> yes, there you go. Okay. All right, the top 10 are in order. Exxon, Apple, Chevron, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Walmart, Berkshire Hathaway, Citigroup, Microsoft, and Merck. Right. Notice that GE right. is... Right, what do you mean, right? G- well, you didn't have the question yeah, No, right. I knew that. I just didn't want to sound like I knew everything. Notice that GE is not on that list, even though it's one of the biggest companies in the, in the country, just saying. Why is it not on that list? Oh, it's famous for finding ways to reduce its taxes. Hmm. Does that make you less likely to invest in a company? Uh, well, that is an interesting question. It's obviously good for shareholders to do that. Um, 
but it's not, is it ethically right? Which is why I knew, that was why I said Berkshire Hathaway first, because I knew Warren Buffett believes that companies should pay their fair share of taxes. Hmm. All right, so you're just going to not answer my question. I guess that's up to you if you want to invest in a company that doesn't pay taxes. Yeah, but see, if if it does better as a stock, and then I have to pay capital gains, they get taxes. I don't know. Um, All right, I have, you know, I'm going to call it a draw. All three of you, Um, Megan, Bro, Rick, you all kind of got two right. Even though I had eight questions, how does that work out? Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And two points go to me (laughs) for being an awesome host. Yay! This has been another episode of Flummox the Fool! (laughs) That's all for today. Megan, I want to thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it when you come up here and explain taxi stuff, even if my eyes do glaze over just a little bit. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So we actually have a new Facebook page that you can go and um, join. What's cool about it is it's actually a closed group. So what you have to do is you have to ask to join it, and then um, a magical person here at The Motley Fool will welcome you in. Um, This way we're trying to keep it private so we can all have a good discussion and um, keep out the trolls and all that stuff. This is a Facebook group for all of the podcasts, so um, you'll also get some some loving from Chris Hill and some interaction from the folks over at Industry Focus and maybe we'll even get David Gardner to head over to the Facebook page and interact with you guys. So, again, uh, this group you can join on Facebook. It's called Motley Fool Podcast. Uh, Go search for it and um, ask to join and we'll let you in because we love you. Our email is answers at fool.com Uh, If you have time, also we'd love it if you could go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, and give us a rating. You guys say the nicest things about it, and I want more! I'm drunk (laughs) with the affection and the kind words that you say about us. So, um, And also it helps us rise up the rankings in iTunes and get us more listeners. So if you have time to also go give us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. The show is edited deductively by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp and Megan Brinsfield, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Bye.